Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which might be the vehicle that takes you through that journey. And each week, I will be talking with mentors who may provide the roadmap you need on that journey. These coaches have paved the pathway for many players and coaches, and most of them have authored books and papers on tennis and life, and they continue to give back today. Who are these mentors? Well, on the first Thursday of every month, which, of course, today is, uh, it's Dr. Alan Fox. The second Thursday is Coach Chuck Reese. The third Thursday is Dr. John Murray. The fourth Thursday is either Linda LeClaire or Scott Williams. This month it's going to be Linda LeClaire. And um, on those fifth Thursdays, which we do have uh, this month, it'll be one of those months when we have a fifth Thursday. Well, it could be any of the great speakers that we've had before that I've been blessed to be able to have on the broadcast. It could be uh, people like Ashley Hobson or uh, Shelton Cruz, the Florida Athletic Coaches Association ex- uh, Executive Director, uh, Florida Tennis uh, founder and editor of the magazine, Jim Marks, uh, has been on a few times. And how about Coach Bobby Payless and Tom Forum? And if it's not a coach, it might be uh, a PTR or the USPTA executive director, Dan Santorum or John Emery, or any of the other college coaches, USTA officials, or industry leaders that we've been blessed to have on our broadcast during the last three years. And because I do believe Dr. King's statement, our lives to begin, begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Time permitting each week, I will add my personal views on tennis and life. Naturally, you will hear my biased views. I'm no different than the rest of you. And uh, those views are always going to be, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. They're usually based on that the tennis journey should be going through high schools and colleges. At one time, our colleges were the training ground for our American uh, tennis pros, and I pray that someday we'll get back to that. But uh, who knows? We will see if we all work together. I think that can be happen. I'm not sure if it'll happen in my lifetime, but I can pray, and I'm uh, – thankful for what we do and I just think if we need to, if we all listen to each other it could be happening here I'd also like to uh, take a moment to thank uh, JP Weber uh, the CEO of the Yellow Ball Network for hosting the network and if you're not following uh, We Coach Tennis on Facebook you're missing out on some useful information uh, besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will be able to continue reading my views on Florida, in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I previously expressed, if you disagree with me, please email me at 
Coach Denise dot FHS TCA at ATT dot net. That's Coach Denise, that's D A N I S C dot FHS TCA at ATT dot net. Who knows? You may uh, hear your views on this broadcast or you might read them in Florida tennis. it wouldn't be the first time. As a matter of fact, before I forget, I think I have uh, a good doctor uh, on the broadcast, uh, but I'd li- I would like to mention I did have uh, a couple uh, comments. Are you there, uh, Coach? Yeah, let me make sure before I go into this. Alan, are you there? I am. I'm. I'm, I'm right here with you, John. Oh, good. I'm, uh, I'll introduce you properly in a moment. But I did uh, have uh, a comment, a coach, uh, actually uh, from uh, uh, Connecticut. Well, I should say a former coach, uh, not as old as me, but. Uh, Brought up uh, in my article uh, an old basketball uh, coach perspective on tennis coaching, which is in this issue. I brought out things that I think are very similar between uh, basketball and uh, tennis, and I've uh, pointed out why uh, when you're not watching the Tennis Network, you should, uh, during the March Madness, uh, take a look at some basketball because I think they're related. It was pointed out to me that uh, I put in the article that I haven't coached basketball for 40 years, which is true, and he says one of the changes that I didn't recognize was that the three-point shot is so prevalent today. I like to just say uh, I do recognize that, but I think if you read the article, I think that when you look at the three-point shot, tennis, like basketball, is a game of rhythm. And when do you see that shot? You see that shot a lot of times. The first thing, they're looking to break up the court. If they're not there, um, you'll see them take the ball back out again. And if we're good passing, I think uh, on the women's side, the University of Connecticut, uh, it's just uh, amazing the uh, passing they do and everything. But I think uh, the same elements are still there. And a lot of times I hear and see about the newest great thing. And um, and maybe I'm just old and I am biased, like I stated at (laughs) beginning of the broadcast, but I'm not so sure there's a lot of new things uh, around, and uh, we'll get into that with uh, the good doctor in a little while. We're blessed to have uh, Alan Fox on. Uh, He's been through the whole thing playing uh, college tennis, which, like I said earlier, is where we used to get our American pros from, and then after playing Davis Cup and uh, representing the United States in the quarterfinals in Wilmington. Uh, he really, uh, today we recognize Pepperdine as a successful program, but uh, when he took over, uh, he, he really built that program. 
And like I said earlier, most of our mentors that are on our broadcast have published books. And, uh, of course, Dr. Fox says, uh, if I'm uh, the better player, why can't I win, which was one of the books that we had in the FHS TCA certification uh, we gave points for for uh, our uh, Florida high school coaches think to win, which brings me to uh, what I often talk about, uh, that uh, I think sports is, can help us with life's journey and um, a lot of things in business and in uh, tennis are related. And, of course, is uh, the book that I think uh, was so important was Tennis Winning the Mental Match. So, Alan, uh, now that I've properly introduced you, um, how are you today? I uh, couldn't be better. I couldn't be better. I'm excited to be on the program, and it's always fun to talk, uh, chat with you, John. So, anyway, well, I, I we feel go. this say <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, I'm, this I'm, is... I'm, I'm at your behest here. Well, I, I mean, I... I tell all of the, our mentors that this most successful uh, broadcast are the ones when you do most of the talking. So I'd like to just lead you into questions. And the people are, uh, on our network, I think the reason we're the number one broadcast on uh, the Yellow Ball Network is not because of me. It's because I'm blessed to have guests like you. But I do think I'm watching a lot of tennis uh, lately. You don't see it as much in the pros as you do in the amateur, but I uh, lately I think we've seen it uh, a lot. Uh, that's not fair, not a lot, but I, I think we've seen it as players that are some established players uh, start off slow. And uh, I'd like to have your comments on and more, I think, in college and in uh, USTA tennis, you see it. I mean, coaching high school tennis when I was coaching it, I mean, it was, uh, you know, something that you can – one of your players every match, you were going to see that. There's no two ways about it. How do we address that? What are some of the things we can do to address it? Uh, we're talking now about the – the problem of starting out a match and not playing well and falling behind. That right. Essentially, essentially the issue. That's uh, correct. You know, which of course happens quite often. I don't think it, it it's even a uh, pro amateur recreational player distinction. I mean, everybody, everybody has that problem and quite often. And so, uh, the first thing you do when you fall behind, things aren't going well. You you gotta like between games, you think about uh, about exactly how it is you're losing the points. Okay, you wanna you you wanna know where the deficit is coming from. Okay, and and the the broad distinctions are whether it's because you're missing, are you making a bunch of mistakes, or is your opponent, you know, hitting, hitting too many good shots and hitting, blowing through you in some way. The two of those will call for different uh, strategic adjustments. 
I mean, because, of course, there's only two ways you lose points. There's only two ways you get behind. You know, either you're making uh, too many mistakes or your opponent's hitting too many good shots. So your response to those two is going to be is going to be different. If it's too many mistakes you're making, which is the usual, uh, then you got to stay a little further away from the lines and a little further away from the net, and and keep the ball in the court more, and and see what your opponent does about it. You may find out that that uh, they can't do anything about it, and so. Uh, but in any case, if it's errors, you just, you know, play safer. It, it, kind of funny along those lines. I uh, used to run tennis camps at Pepperdine. And the first talk I would have with, the, with the, the kids that were coming in was a talk on strategy. And at the, at the lower levels, uh, you know, recreational levels and so forth, the uh, – Defensive player has the advantage. The the edge goes to the player who can keep the ball in the court and make less errors. You know, at the higher levels of the game, as you improve, then it starts to go to offense. But basically, it's consistency at the at the low levels. And so I tell everybody that, and they understand that up to a point. Then they get out on the tennis court. And and they'll hit three out of four balls in the court, maybe miss one out of four. Now, they, they, they wish they didn't miss that one out of four, but they miss it anyway. So they think that the, the issue is, is just work on your strokes and, and, and get better so that you don't miss one out of four. But actually, th- that's, that's not the right uh, adjustment. I ask them, I'll say, now, guys, how is it, how could you be steadier right now, not waiting till your game improves, uh, but right now, you know, at whatever level you're at? And they sort of look at me blankly. But, but the way they could be more consistent right now is just not hit the ball so close to the net and the lines. Don't hit it so hard. Hit it in and then gradually increase the power. It, it, it never occurs to most people to do that, okay? They, they keep hitting with their normal speed and just think that improvement is going to make them steadier. I mean, the way to play the game is to play consistently and then gradually, you know, increase your power rather than the other way around, <laughs> which is you know, hit it high power and hope to get more consistent at it. And so uh, if you're behind and it's, and it's uh, errors that's doing it, then it's a very simple adjustment. If, if, the other, if your opponent is blowing you out, that's a little tougher. I mean, there you have to, you know, increase your own aggression and try to push your opponent uh, you know, away from the center of the court so they can't set up so well. You try to get them moving. It, it's something that somebody like Sharapova does. I mean, Sharapova doesn't run very well, so she immediately gets control of the point. So her opponent can't get to her, can't get to her legs. She puts the opponent on defense as quickly as she can 
and mainly because she doesn't run very well. So, but but in essence, she's doing it to to defend herself. I mean, aggression at that level is probably one of the better sources of defense. Okay, you get control of the point, then your opponent is in no position to push you around too much. So those are the two major adjustments. Um, Those are the strategic issues. I mean, and then how you do it, it would depend on specifically, you know, what your opponent's strengths and weaknesses are in your own. So what one person might do would be different from another. Um, Right. Now, I'm just thinking about it. Are we talking also from a mental standpoint what to do? Yeah, uh, in I addition think so. to strategic. I well, think let me mention so. a I thing or two you do mentally. Uh, you know, mentally, if if you get behind, I mean, the first thing to do when you're behind is slow down. Okay. It's a, and most people, paradoxically, tend to do exactly the opposite. I mean, they get behind and they get in a rush to catch up. And so they actually speed up. You know, you see somebody losing and they're playing points fast. I mean, mm-hmm. as soon as you get behind, you want to play them slower. Because, number one, when you're behind and the, the quicker the match goes, the quicker you're going to lose. The longer, if you're behind, the longer you stay out there, the better for you. You slow down. Now, that has a couple of effects. Number one, your your opponent, uh, for reasons we could discuss someday, your opponent who's ahead tends to feel the pressure. The The player ahead, which is kind of weird, but... In general, the choking comes from the player that's ahead. The player behind has got to worry about discouragement. That's the thing that kills the the losing player. The the player ahead gets nervous because he or she starts thinking about winning. And when you do that, the more you think about winning, if you're uncertain, uh, the more nervous you tend to get. So... uh, you want to slow down and let your opponent think about it. Let the pressure get to them a bit. Then if you catch up, they're a little bit weakened. Uh, so secondly, your opponent will be somewhat antsy. Now, I'm not saying you stall. You don't tie your shoes and fiddle around the court and obviously stall. You just slow down a bit. Maybe take another three or four seconds between points instead of 20 seconds take 23 seconds or instead of 15 take 18 or 19 seconds just take a little more time i mean it it isn't i mean you you don't want to do anything that's not within the rules but within the rules you're you're trying to you know make life difficult for your opponent and that involves making your opponent think about it when they're under pressure you know, and and third or maybe second, I forget which. Uh, it also gives you a chance to gather yourself together. When when you rush, you 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 will tend to tumble and you won't figure out how to adjust and maybe uh, change your strategy a little bit. Uh, so you 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 take your time, 
and and that that gives you a chance to change the equation a bit. That makes sense, I guess. Hopefully, it does. I, I think it makes a lot of I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think uh, going back to my article with the basketball and uh, tennis and the game of rhythm, which I think Lamar. Uh, you know, a lot of times, and I was always a, a fast-breaking coach, but when I didn't have, when I was especially in the developing the personnel, I like to slow it down and slow it down and slow it down. And when people are used to playing at a certain rhythm, uh, it's it's. I think it's hard for anybody to adjust. I don't know. What is, is that right or not? Yeah. Well, it's slightly uncomfortable. It's slightly uncomfortable. I mean, rhythm and the pace of the match is one way that you dominate. You can dominate an opponent. In other words, there's, you know, you'd like to control the points. You can't maybe sometimes control them. Sometimes your opponent putting too much pressure on you. You can't control the points so well. But you can always uh, control the speed. They can't force you to go faster. Now, again... Right. I, I, I want to distinguish between slowing it up and stalling. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 I mean, the last thing you want, I mean, of course, you, you're playing this game mostly for pride. I mean, that's, that's what you get out of winning unless you're a pro, which most of us aren't. Uh, but you're playing for pride. And, and that involves, you know, playing square, playing straight with your opponent. You're not trying to cheat them. You, but you, you, you certainly don't want your opponent to feel good. So uh, you, you do slow it up, but, you know, only within, within the rules. Right, naturally. Uh, naturally. Now let me ask you another question. Do you think, uh, um, especially now at my age, I watch a lot of uh, – uh, tennis and uh, basketball, but uh, and I have a bias to the uh, young American kids, and we're trying to watch them develop. But what you were saying before about being, you know, consistent and everything's so important, and then uh, you know, then go to you know, power after. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the last few weeks that we have down here in Florida and, of course, the, uh, in, in Mexico City now, uh, Donaldson and Harrison. And I, would, I seem to see them as very uh, good defensive players when the, uh, a couple of years ago. Now, is it wishful thinking or am I seeing them more aggressive now? Well, uh, you know, at the high levels, I mean, these guys, we're talking now about pros. Uh, you know, I was uh, referring generally to recreational players or, you know, the, the body of the game. This is the very top of the game. And at the very top of the game, uh, it is aggression. In other words, you know, there the object is to physically dominate and get control of the point. And, and either force your opponent into the error or hit a winner. Uh, and, but during the course of it, you, you know, you can't make a, a, you can't push your game. So you're making a bunch of errors. You, there's no way to win 
when you play above uh, your power level. Uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, everybody's got a level. They can push their game 10 15% one way or the other, push it a little harder or pull back a little bit. But if you push it beyond that 10% or 15%, then you start to make a lot of errors. You know, of course, the more you push it, the more errors you make. But but only slightly until you reach a, a, a threshold. And then if you push it farther than that, you make a lot of errors. And so at the pro level, they're pushing it as far as they can, but not over not over the limit where they they start to tumble and make the errors. You know, sometimes you you play an opponent who's forcing you, and and you feel like you have to hit better shots. But it's generally you can only do that within a certain limit. And if you try to actually play above what your game can sustain, you lose for sure. You're you're better off. For instance, let's say you're behind, and your opponent's, you know, hitting a bunch of great shots. You never want to play above what your game can do, you know, with a relatively low error rate. If you if you push it too far, yeah, maybe you can stop from being dominated, but you're going to make too many mistakes, and then you're going to lose for sure. You're better off if you have to choose. You play within your capabilities, right at the top of it, and and you have to assume your opponent can't keep it up. You know, you have to rely that your opponent come back to earth. Uh, because once you push your game too hard, then you lose for sure. You know, and, and, and that's, that's one thing you're trying to accomplish, you know, when, when you uh, play aggressively and threaten your opponent. One of the things you want your opponent to do is start to try shots that are low percentage. You want them to overplay their game and, and hope do that in response to being hurt by you. So it, it, these are all elements. I mean, of course, every situation is a little different, but some of the basic elements kind of hold across all sorts of, uh, what do you call it, uh, levels of play. Mm-hmm. When you look at what um, the you know, I spend a lot of time with with teens, especially in high school, and uh, I'm sure before you brought Pepperdine to a powerhouse, in those first couple of years when you were developing uh, that there, can you do, what can you do as a coach to help these players, you know, sit there and be able to handle that pressure. I mean, knowing you know you're uh, you're going to face a team, you're going to probably be in that situation early on with a player. What can a coach do to help? Well, uh, I'm sort of changing gears on you slightly here, John. Uh, but but uh, you know what the number one. Uh, the thing that the college coach, the, the number one thing that the coach does that that improves his team. What do you think that is? The most important thing a coach can do. Scheduling. A winning coach that is in college. Not high school, would, college. Off the top of my head, I'd say scheduling. I don't know what is it. Recruiting. 
Oh, yeah. Recruiting. <laughs> Get the good players. That's what I found out, number one. There's only, there's only so much a coach can do, okay? So early on, you know, I, I did recognize it was recruiting, point one. Uh, point two, I mean, if I was going to give advice to a coach, this is like advice for coaches, by the way. Uh, right. I'm changing on you because it wasn't exactly the question you asked. But That's all right. Uh, it, 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 here was another strategy that I used that that was necessary in, in a building situation. And that is, when I first started out, I, I couldn't get, uh, we didn't have a, a big reputation at the time, and so I couldn't get the very best players. You know, I couldn't get the top ten American juniors, any of them. Uh, they would go to UCLA or Stanford or SC or somewhere. Uh but I could get guys between 20 and 40 or 20 and 50 in the country. Uh, there was a big drop-off between the top 10 and someone, say, 25 or 30 in the country. And it, now it's a little closer than that. But uh, then the trick was to, to get a big team. Uh, I, I, I recruited large teams at first. Uh, with the idea being, if I couldn't get the very best players, then I needed to play the numbers. I needed to get more players uh, because in order to beat the LA's or the SC's or Stanford or whatever, we were going to have, our guys were going to have to play at the level of the top 10 juniors in the United States. That was like the number five and six players on the UCLA Stanford team were ranked in the top 10 in the country in the juniors. So that was the level our guys had to reach. But I couldn't be sure any particular guy was going to do it, so I would get teams of 12, maybe 15, large teams, and, and work with more players. And, and, and it was part of my job to develop them. But that, that took time, and it took numbers. You, you couldn't be sure you could do such a thing. So you, you had to have a lot of players to work with. So that was strategy number two. Strategy number three was, was to assess their games as a coach. One of the, uh, I guess, important attributes you could have in developing players was to look at a player for a while, watch him play, and see what was possible for him to do. I'm coaching guys, by the way. What, what, the same thing goes for coaching the women, you know, you're trying to assess the player's capabilities, both mental and physical, okay? You can see there's certain things. For instance, if a player's slow, slow on his feet, you're never going to make him fast, okay? That, that's just not going to happen ever. Uh, if he doesn't have a, a good service action, you're never going to give him a big serve, that, that'll never happen. Uh, you can, you know, improve ground strokes, and you can improve the volley, and you can change their strategy. Uh, but certain things you just can't do, and you, you have to know what's possible and what isn't. Uh, I, I give you an example. One guy I had on my team, he was ranked about 35 in the country coming in. He was one of the guys on this in this big team that I brought in like my second, third year coaching. 
and and he had a good kick serve. He had a bad forehand. He had a very good backhand, and he had a fair volley, uh, and not much. He was basically sort of played an all-around game. He'd served, stayed back. Sometimes he'd come in, just kind of, uh, you know, played a variety of games, mostly baseline, but he'd come in some. And and as as I watched him play for a while, I could see there were certain things that were never going to happen with him. Be, uh, one of them is because he was a sort of nervous, insecure kind of guy. He was never going to be, he would uh, choke quite a bit. And so I knew that he wasn't ever going to get to be a a great baseline player. He's not going to win on the baseline because you have to hit too many balls. And, And under pressure, it would give him too much time to think about it, and he'd eventually miss. He was never going to get that good back there. Plus, the forehand was always some going to be somewhat of a weakness. So then it became clear that to me that he needed to learn to volley better. You know, that was the way out was for him to attack at the net all the time and play shorter points and, and put the pressure on the opponent so that he didn't have to hit 10, 15, 20 balls a point, you know, where he'd have a lot of chance to choke. he serve and get in and the other guy's got a pass and so he developed into quite a good serve volleyer over a period of time okay this it took about two or three years of constant work on his volley uh, to, to get proficient up there but he got quite proficient at the net he was a he was a pretty darn good athlete uh, just emotionally wouldn't have been a good baseliner and and was a nervous volleyer, but at least he was attacking and could pressure the guy into missing. And so that was sort of an example of the strategy. You're trying to assess what the guy can do and what he can't. And and then you try to fill in the holes with drills uh, of the things he can do. You know, with this fellow, it was teach him how to volley. You know, and, and, and he got good at it. Uh, with other people, it would be something else. But th- that's sort of the job of the coach is to shape the person's game and set up drills that that can uh, get past the player, that can get past the player's weaknesses and shore those up. i tell you, I'm, I'm, I was looking at this, this kid, Shapovalov. Okay, I'm watching yeah. him play. Have you been watching this boy? Yep. This young lefty Canadian, yeah, I mean, he, he's a, a fantastic talent. Okay, and different from most other players in that he 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 doesn't play a conventional game. I mean, if you if you watch him play, you don't see any points last more than two or three shots you know, because no. he's so aggressive. I mean, he, he'd go for the winner right away. You know he. He's extraordinarily talented. Uh, however, he's got two little holes in his game these days. And if I was in, uh, advising his coach, uh, I mean, one problem he's got is he misses. Uh, I don't know if you saw him play in that Florida tournament, but 
uh, he won his first match or two. I think in the semis he lost to Tiafo, uh, right. just missing a bunch of backhands. I don't know if you mm-hmm. if you saw that match. I did but, see it. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I was, you know, of course, I was rooting for the American, but I love that Canadian too. But I, I see inconsistency, but I see, um, you know, I, I, would you change him? You know, he's always trying to get the point over quickly. No, I, don't know I wouldn't if I would change, change that. That's no. in his DNA, and I wouldn't fool with that. He's not like the other players. I mean, he's not going to play – you know, position tennis where he's going to grind the guy cross court, move him off the court two or three or four shots, and then hit up the line when he's got an opening. What, what, what this kid does is within a shot or two, he, he goes for it. You know, he'll hit into an awkward position for the opponent. He's extremely aggressive. Uh, right. And he, he will come in and volley, which I think is excellent. That's a great play for him. I mean, he, he's looking to get to the net whenever he can, actually. But, mm-hmm. but you know, when, when you, if you were the coach, for instance, he, he, and I saw his backhand just break down in Acapulco. Uh, mm-hmm. He lost the theme uh, yesterday. And, 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 again, the backhand made too many mistakes, shanking them and stuff. I mean, his forehand does the damage, but the backhand breaks down. So on a long-term basis, I wouldn't, if I were the coach, I wouldn't worry about him winning right away. I think the other thing a coach has to do is to see the long-term uh, game plan for the player and set that up regardless of whether he wins right now or he doesn't, okay? And so what I would do with Chakalovos, first, every day I would have him hitting a half an hour or 40 minutes of backhand cross courts, you know, top spin. And, and have him working the backhand so that, you know, over a period of six months or so, the backhand is shored up. If you, if you don't do that, you, you, you sort of leave, you, you, you leave this weakness in place indefinitely, which you don't want to do. The rest of the game will improve around it and, and bypass it if you don't get after the weakness and, and try to fix it, you know. If it takes six months or a year, so be it. Now, the the other thing that Shapovalov does, okay, you know, more than than you'd want, and that is, he comes in, he's very aggressive, he volleys fair, but not that well. He makes mistakes at the net. Okay, the volley is not secure enough yet, and so the other thing I would do is he'd spend a half hour to forty five minutes a day hitting volleys. You know, I'd be feeding him out of a bucket and having him moving forward and then back him up to hit overheads and just so that he gets used to to just hitting lots of volleys so he gets great control of it because you you don't want an unstable shot like that. So he's got those two things. Those you would spend six months or a year working on to try to fix them. So they're not a... You know, n- not a weakness that's hanging on indefinitely. And and with, I think that's yeah. yeah, go yeah, on, John. I'm what were you going to say? Sorry. No, I, I said I think it's so relevant because I think it's so obvious. If you're uh, watching Acapulco and you were in Delray like I was, 
uh-huh. they're, you know, it's obvious that they was going to it backhand all the time. And right. uh, and I think um, for a little while, I thought he made a mental mistake at Del Rey. Is I thought he actually started to play at the baseline uh, Woodhill fall when, uh, you know, and it's just it was it seemed like it was out of uh, character. And then the first opportunity, you went to that backhand, and his backhand is either outstanding. I mean, uh, I I think what you said is just so important. You know, you you don't take time off, but you've got to work on it and you got to correct it because. They're going to attack it. The good players, you, uh, the, the problem, I think, is the mediocre player, he's way above a lot of people, so he can get away with it with the mediocre players. But the top players, just, uh, he's not going to get away with that. With them. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, his, his uh, response to having a, a better forehand and a weaker backhand uh, has been to run around the backhand and hit only forehands right. as best he can. Okay. Right. That, that is one solution to that problem. Uh, and he should probably do that indefinitely, but uh, he would be better off still if he had a better backhand. I mean, it's kind of what Federer did. I mean, Federer, mm-hmm. you know, when he took that time off the last year, Remember, he took six months or so. He didn't play uh, tournaments. And, and then he came back with a better topspin backhand. And, and my guess is Federer realized, you know, he, he wasn't going to be able to win at this level chipping the backhand and running, which he did, you know, early in his career. He got away with it. He could do that. He was fast enough, and his opponents weren't as good as they are now. And so... But he, he, eventually, I guess at this point, he realized he needed a better backhand topspin, an aggressive one, so he could, you know, hurt the guy off both sides, not just the forehand. So he worked on that, I'm sure, because he came back on the tour. Suddenly, you know, he could hit the backhand topspin, you know, and trade with Nadal into his forehand. I don't know if you remember, that's how he, he won the Australian, yeah. you know, clocking backhand topspins. You know, if he just uh, chipped it the way he did early in his career, I mean, Nadal's going to hit forehands, and 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 he's going to grind him down. You know, right. So same thing with with Shapovalov. I mean, he needs to get a backhand. His forehand's always going to be his shot, but the backhand mustn't be missing like it does. You know, it's got to be a, a you know at least stable. You know, he needs uh, – you can also see that the server turn cost him a lot of points. No? I don't know if you remember that. He was having trouble yep. uh, when when TFO served into his backhand, made a bunch yeah. of mistakes. You know, so there – And the same gonna, thing happened at Apogo. You could see it. They're serving into right. his backhand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, team attacked the backhand, and it didn't stand up. Uh right. I mean, he'd have to come. He needs to come up with a serve return that's consistently in the court. You know, uh, he'd be better off. To, I don't know. He'd be better off. You know, his his coach would need to stand at the service line and serve. You know, uh, in order to rush him, and then just have him over and over hitting backhand returns. He'd have to work on. You know, I I personally think he should chip about half of them. 
if the opponent's not coming in, the chip is quite a safe return if you get good at it. It's easy to hit. Uh, his top spin return is an extremely difficult one to time uh, because it's a one-hander and the ball is moving fast and it's jumping up on you and, you know, the ball gets away from him too often. And if you notice that, you know, so yeah. it'll just get away from the backhand. He, he, needs, he needs a backhand. He's fast enough that he doesn't have to take – and that's the other thing you look at. You go, well – it depends on the guy's foot speed as to what you do. If, uh, I mean, ideally, you want to get control of the point off the server turn if you can, um, so you don't get hit on the very next shot. But uh, I guess more important than that is the ball got to get back in the court a lot, you know, which which his ball wasn't doing. So then, as the coach, you 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 go out there. And you work on serve returns, you know, so that he, he, he gets a uh, sort of a, a routine. I mean, like I had a routine on serve returns, and I worked on it and developed it when I was playing as a not a great athlete. But what I would do is I would watch the guy bouncing the ball. I'd get myself sort of jacked up. I'd try to cover the, the serves that the guy was good at, I'd, mainly I'd move over a little bit so that he couldn't make me reach. You know, you, you try to cover up the good serve, the guy's, you know, favorite serves physically. Mm-hmm. And then you have sort of a routine where, you know, hands have to be somewhat loose. Like when you're returning serve, you need flexible hands. What I mean is if you get stiff-handed, you know, you, 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 you can't adjust to, to serves, and, they, and serves come in all kinds of awkward places. So you, you have to be adjustable with your hands. You have to have a short backswing, and you want to have your weight forward, those sorts of things. And I would repeat that over and over to myself and, and, and develop a sort of routine where uh, I was focusing on the little keys just before the guy served so I knew what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. Uh, and that's something you would just practice. If you have a coach that serves at you, you could just spend 20 minutes or a half an hour every other day hitting serve returns till you've got a technique that, that's uh, sort of mechanically sound, which it doesn't look like he has at the moment. But he's so young. You and, this is, uh, and there's so much young talent out there and. uh, uh I, I love uh, Federer, and we all have our own biases, uh, but I, I said a while ago, I think uh, why he's winning is we have athletes playing tennis, and we have a master, uh, we have athletes play, that are out on a tennis court, and we have a tennis master that's playing a game of tennis. But these kids are going to catch up very shortly, I think. Well, I think we're in a transition stage in the game where the the old guard is getting old uh, and, and the new guard's not quite there yet. Uh, so, I mean, the, the Federers and the Dahls and Murrays and Djokovic's and so forth, I mean, it, 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 as you, what kills you as you get older is injury, you know. And so mm-hmm. they're starting to have injuries that last them a while. 
you know, when you're young, you get an injury, you know, pull muscle or something, and in, in a week or so, you're better. And you get older, and it's six months before you're better. You know, it's one of the little, little problems of an aging athlete. You know, your healing is slow. So I think we're in a transition. The young ones, I mean, this kid Zverev is very dangerous, and there's a number of young guys. I, I, to be honest, it's hard to see the Amer- any of our young guys getting great at this point. I don't see it. You know, I don't see anyone. For instance, Shapovalov to me looks like, other than Zverev, who's an obvious one, he's already there. Uh, right. Young Zverev. You know, six six and runs and he does everything. Uh, the next talented guy to me is 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 Shapovalov. I mean, he, 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 and actually, he's more interesting in a way than Zverev because Zverev just plays the way everyone else plays, except better. You know, he's big and he does everything pretty darn well. You know, two big sides and a big serve, and he runs. You know, but he plays just the way everyone else does. That's good. But Shapovalov doesn't. He plays in a way nobody else does. You know, and that means going for a winner on about the second shot all the time. (laughs) No one else is doing that. Uh, He's very hard to play against, you know. Uh, Can he pull it off? I don't know. It's interesting. I, I like watching him. Uh, I do too, and I, I appreciate you giving us one of your uh, uh, one-minute clinics, which taken much longer than you'd usually do on the tennis channel. But I, it, it, I appreciate that. But let me ask you one more question, if you, yeah. uh, if you can hold you a little longer. You said about you don't see it in American players, and I'm not arguing with you because I, I don't either. But you, you've been through the whole thing. I haven't. Uh, And my own bias and concern about college tennis, is that one of the reasons why, I mean, America, why aren't American athletes uh, playing better tennis? Uh, Nobody knows. Uh, And by the way, just because I can't see it right at the moment doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I mean, uh, I've been plenty wrong in the past about whether a guy is going to get good or not. I didn't think Brad Gilbert was going to get to be a a, a, a pro player. <laughs> I thought he I, I thought he'd be better off with an education and uh, teach school or something. But he fooled me. And and yeah. and I used to practice with Jimmy Connors when when he was a uh, you know a junior, and I even played him when he was eighteen in a tournament. I never thought he'd be any good. <laughs> Why? Because he didn't play like like the the good players played. I mean, in, in my day, the good players all served in volley, you know, and he, he didn't have any, his serve was no good, and he didn't volley very well. So I figured, no chance. He'll never get good. I didn't know there was a whole other way to play the game, which he opened up, you know. Suddenly, there's a guy that can hurt you off the ground. Actually, he knocked the ground stroke off. That, I hadn't seen that before. So, there may well be, you know, tricks of the trade that are, you know, some young players developing that, that uh, is different than I'm used to seeing. So I, I wouldn't bet totally against it. It's just Shapovalov is the only one that looks obvious to me that he does something extraordinary. 
the other guys, you know, we have Donaldson and and uh, TFO and these guys, they're all pretty darn good, you know? Yeah. One yeah. of them may very well make it. Uh, sock, you know, strange game. Uh, yeah. Pretty, right. you know, diabolical forehand. Weird-looking serve. I don't know what he does with his wrist, but it's pretty effective. You know, TFO the same. I mean, he's got a bizarre, I mean, Tiavo is a potential champion of some sort. He he has such a an unorthodox way of hitting the ball that you wonder is it possible? I mean, he's obviously a great athlete. Uh, you wonder if the technique can hold him back just because it's it's strange, it's unorthodox. Uh, I don't know how he hits a serve as hard as he does, but it's. Pretty good. It's weird looking. Pretty hard. Yeah. yeah, the forehand's weird looking too, but it's pretty good also. I mean, the, the thing is not weird looking is he runs like a gazelle. He's fast, you know, which is yeah, something he is fast. Huh? And that's something you but, don't teach somebody. And, uh, you know, that it gives you, uh, I mean, on the woman's side, Lindsay Davenport, we talked about slow foot and everything, but if she got ahead right. of you with her, you know, if she attacked you before you could attack her, you were in trouble. You can, you can compensate only so much. But, right. Uh, it's, uh, well, Coach, I we've gone through another uh, broadcast. I appreciate you sharing this with me in the audience. Uh, I would... I, I think we've, um, I feel we've given them one of your uh, one-minute clinics uh, that you normally <laughs> yeah, did on the tennis clinics. channel, but uh, it took us more than a minute to get to it. But I think that's good. I think sometimes we're in too much of a hurry. Yeah, well, sometimes you can get general principles out of going through an individual case and seeing how it's approached. And then, you know, your case may be different, but the same general strategy holds, you know, identify the weaknesses and try to shore them up and, and, and try to play into a guy's strength, you know, looking for what he can do and what he probably will never do. I mean, of course, uh, by the way, I didn't mention one other thing, and that is the reason I'm, I'm somewhat knowledgeable of Shapovalov is that I'm interested in him, so I watch him play. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's 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 also been coached by one of my former players, Marty Lorando, who was a oh. five-year Pepperdine guy. You know, so oh, Marty realized Yeah, yeah, Marty is a, a Pepperdine guy, and and you know a brilliant coach. I mean, actually, Shapovalov has a good. I mean, I try to keep you know these opinions. I haven't passed on to Marty mainly because you know. It's not proper, really, for the old coach to be giving stick his nose in what it hasn't been asked for. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe Marty's listening to this to this broadcast. Maybe he doesn't wouldn't be interested anyway. But uh, I'm interested. I uh, I, I want to see them do well just because of Marty. I don't know Shapovalov, but I do know Marty. So I'm biased actually, but I think a good coach helps. But uh, like you said, uh, 
I remember when my son was a high school coach with uh, Marty Fish and everything. My advice was for him to go to college and not go pro. So it shows how smart I was. But uh, <laughs> well, just, I'm uh, no better. I didn't think Connors was going to get any good. So, <laughs> well, guys, yeah, that's about as bad an error as you could make. Yeah. Well, Alan, I look forward to next month uh, our conversation again. Uh, we've uh, shot a whole broadcast. I would uh, just uh, remind the people that uh, you are still available for uh, speaking. Uh, uh, you, you still do consultant work. And how do they reach you? Um, they reach me through my website at allenfoxtennis.net. Um, and, and that's where they can sign up for consulting or buy books or whatever. Uh, and uh, they can get a message through to me that way, uh, and I will respond. So thank you, John. I, I appreciate you inviting me on uh, to speak and, and for putting on this very nice show. Well, thank you, Alan. And as the audience has, you probably figured out by now, we're not, you're not going to hear my commentary at the end of the show. And I, say, I do say at the beginning that it isn't guaranteed if I, and I'm the judge of it, I have to admit, but when I think we're having a good conversation, I could always give you my commentary uh, some other time. I would like to remind you to, um, you know, uh, that you can see uh, m my articles in Florida tennis all the time. Uh, matter of fact, I just submitted for the next issue a three-piece article, which Jim Marks uh, mm -hmm. is going to put up with me, because uh, there is a lot of discussion and uh, about the different organizations and um, uh, there's a lot of moaning and complaining, and it seems to be the American way now. Uh, and um, quite frankly, uh, Doug Booth, who I love dearly, just retired from the USTA Florida section when he was uh, the executive director. When in my eight years on the uh, board of directors there, he always said I was a pain, but I reminded him that every organization <laughs> needs to have uh, somebody that's going to challenge them. And I think that uh, I, I do remind people, and I, you know, probably now that I'm older, I'm a bigger pain, but uh, I think, you know, we have to challenge things, but I think we can be respectful, and I think we have to listen. And that's the important thing. I don't think we listen enough to other people and their beliefs. And like uh -huh. I said earlier, uh, I had a coach that brought up a very good point on basketball, uh, the three-point shot. Uh, I didn't have that in my article. But, again, I believe that's part of the rhythm of the game. And the fast, you run the game first, and uh, basketball is a lot like that. But let's listen to each other. Let's be respectful of each other. And uh, But let's challenge each other. We are Americans. We are a free country. And I think if we uh, keep our moral compass and if we uh, are not afraid uh, to speak out when people say, uh, you know, freedom is for the strong. 
I agree with it, but I don't think whoever he or she was that said that meant that you had to be strong of arms. I think a strong voice is good as long as it's a respectful voice and as long as you're willing to listen. Please tell your friends to listen. Next week we'll have Chuck Reese on. Uh, he is one of those people that is looking to um, uh, get what he calls American Patriots. I feel I owe a lot to this game of tennis, so I have to include myself there. I don't know if I'll be any uh, good or not. I probably, I, today I have more questions than answers, but uh, that's uh, who I am. So tell your friends to listen next week. Have a blessed week, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. Bye now. Thanks, John. Take care. Appreciate and it. Thank you, Alan. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.